get started in a word of prayer. Father, thanks so much for today and for bringing us out safely. And uh, thank you for this time of, to study your word, open our hearts, minds, help us to understand. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we've been working through the security of salvation. And um, again, what's, what the, the security of salvation, what question are we trying to answer with the security? No, that's assurance. Security is, is it? Sh yeah, once you have it, can you lose it? That's security. Assurance is, how do you know that you have it? All right, that's the difference. And we're talking about the arguments for security of salvation. We just briefly will go over a couple of these. Um, number one, it's consistent with the plan of God in what sense God sees the end from the beginning, right? So if he saw you glorified in eternity past, how can you follow that up in time? You can't. All right, you can't follow it up. Uh, you can't become saved and then unsaved. And we talked about this in Romans chapter 8, where it talks about everybody that God foreknew in eternity past, in time, he justified. Nobody gets lost along the way. Nobody, it's not some, 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 but it's all, all, all. So, and if you have been justified, what comes next? Well, those he glorified. And what's that? That's the eternity future part. So the point is, from eternity past to eternity future, you're secure. That's part of the plan of God. And that's not going to change. Um, it's consistent with the work of Christ in what sense? Well, Christ came to effect the salvation. He came to die as our substitute. He took our place. And uh, before the throne of God, before the bar of judgment, we have been declared righteous, right? That's justification, to be declared righteous. And who, could, who can overturn that verdict? Who could overturn the verdict of God? Well, a higher court could, but is there, is there one? No. no, there's no higher court. God's the judge. He's not going to overturn his verdict. Christ is the only other possibility being a member of the Trinity, but he's not going to do it because he died for us, right? And not only did he die for us, but what is he doing even now? Interceding for us. So there's no way he's going to overturn it. So if the two most powerful beings, omnipotent beings in the universe, are on your side, can you lose? No. no. And then Paul throws in everything else. Well, what about, you know, persecution, trials, <coughs> tribulation? How about things present? How about things to come? Height, depth? How about any other creation? Can anything separate us from that? No. We're not, we, we can't be separated. If you want to really get a hold of this concept of the security of salvation, Romans 8 28 following is the place to go. I mean, that is really the condensed passage in the New Testament on this concept of security. It's also consistent with the work of Christ in the sense that Christ said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Did you notice what he said there? All. Not some. He didn't say the Father's going <clears> to <throat> give me some people in eternity past and, you know, a few of them are going to find their way to me. No, All. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So, if we were given to Christ in eternity past, Christ is not going to say, Father, I really don't want that gift there. I don't want him or her. No. He's going to accept us. That's part of his, part of who he is. And Jude 1.24, him that's able to keep you from... Falling, and I, I'm pretty sure, and I haven't looked it up in my text, but I'm pretty sure that word falling there is apostasia. What is that? To 
fall away? Can a true believer fall away? We already talked about this. No, you can't. If you fall away, what does that prove? You never had it. You never had it. It's not that you had it and lost it. You never had it. There's a good book. Um, you can, Uncle Don can order it from the bookstore. Yeah, I call him Uncle Don. You can, uh, it's called The Almost Christian Discovered. The Almost Christian Discovered. In fact, I would strongly encourage and recommend that you get this book. It's a great book. Called The Almost Christian Discovered. And uh, it's written by a guy named Matthew Mead. And if you don't know who he is, don't worry because he uh, died 400 years ago. He's a Puritan author. He also wrote The Body of Divinity, I think. One of the great classics of, Christian, of the Christian faith. That's a good book. You may also want to read uh, Charles Stanley's Eternal Security. Okay. It's a lot easier to read than Mead. Mead has 17 ways in which you can almost be a Christian and not be one. Almost. Remember what Felix said, almost you persuade, persuade me. me. And then remember that old hymn, Almost Persuaded? Mm -hmm. Folks, you know, th this is what scares, this is what keeps me up at night. How many people get right up to the edge and never make it? Right up to the edge, almost. Almost a Christian, almost believing, almost... And they turn around and go the other way. Yep, but that's a different question. That's looking at it from God's sovereignty side. Remember, you got to be a schizo on this. You got God's sovereignty side. That's fine, okay. But from the human perspective, Paul did not walk in the field and say, "Well, if you're elect, you're going to be in heaven. I'm not going to witness to you." What did he do? He witnessed. He argued with him. He tried to persuade him. And that's what we need to do. We need to to do this. But this is a great book and I found it an easy read but, yeah, but. it's not bad. Really it isn't. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's not an expensive book. It's about 11 bucks or something like that. But it's really an interesting book. Almost Christian Discovered. But you can get close. The point is this and this is the great warnings in the New Testament. You can get close to the kingdom of God and not get there. You can come right up to the edge and not make it. And that's why Paul tells us to examine ourselves, whether it be in the faith, prove ourselves. We're going to talk about many proofs that you can ask yourself, am I a Christian? We're going to talk about the assurance here in a few minutes, hopefully. But you can be assured of your salvation. This is not an iffy thing. Which is similar to just, just, just over that narrow line where they're up there but not over it are those who Yeah, you can get in there by the skin of your teeth, literally. You can just make it. The thief on the cross, he just made it, didn't he? But he made it. He made it. He made it. The thief on the cross is probably no different than the rest of us, really. No. No. Not really. Not really. What is the word you for in Apostasia, I think, is the Greek word. I'm pretty sure that's the, the word used there. 
you know, sometimes I do, you know, one of the problems with getting old is sometimes you do these things from memory, and uh, your memory doesn't work like it used to. You guys don't have that problem, do you? You know, sometimes you think, oh, I remember that, and then it's like, no, that's not it at all. 124. Apo. I see him right So it's related to apostasia. It's a word related to that. So it's consistent with the work of Christ. It's also supported by the keeping power of God. What do you mean by that? Well, here's the thing to understand. The God that saves you can keep you. Right? What's harder, to save you or keep you? Save. save. <laughs> That's the harder thing. That's the hardest thing for God to do. Um, and, and this is the thing to understand. When you, when you read the New Testament, sometimes you read these passages that say, well, like, like in Colossians, I forget the, the exact phrase, I think it's Colossians 117, where um, if you... It, there's sort of a hint there that, um, well, you'll be saved if you continue. If you continue. And it sounds at first blush like, well, the only way I get to heaven is if I continue. Well, when you put that verse up against other verses, you understand why is it that you can continue. Because God enables you to continue. It's not that you have to continue. You understand the difference? It's not that you do it in and of yourself, of your own energy, your own effort, your own work. No. Who is giving you the ability to stay saved? Who is giving you the ability to remain? God is. He's keeping you. And, and this is the point to understand. It is by the keeping power of God that we're kept saved. It's not by our own effort. Now, from the human perspective, from just this plane, how do I know that I am a Christian? How do I know I'm truly born again? Well, I, I, I'm, I stay there, right? But that's from this perspective. From the eternal perspective, it is God who is doing the keeping. God keeps us. Um, John 10 is one of the great classic verses on this. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What does Christ give us? He gives us eternal life. And can anybody pluck us out of Christ's hand? No. No. And some people say, yeah, but you can jump out. So he'll just break your leg. Yeah, you can jump out of his hand. <laughs> some have argued that. Well, look, you're one of the anyone's. Not only can no one else pull you out of his hands, but you can't jump out of his hand. You are forever secure. Yeah. No. And see that that's the mystery of the Christian life. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So who lives your Christian life? Do you live it? Well, yes and no. Yes, you live it, but not really you living it, but Christ is living in you, and who enables you to live? It's he that enables you to live. It's both. 
It's both of you. And if, if my Christian uh, faith was left up to me, if my salvation was left up to me, I don't make it. And neither do any of you. It is only by the power of God we're kept in. Notice what he says here, my Father which gave them me. Who gave us to Christ? The Father did. Go back to John 6. Is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, notice what it says here. We are secure in the hand of Christ, and over the hand of Christ is whose other hand? God's hand. Now, can, we, can you get away from that? No, you can't. We, can't. we can't lose this because we are kept by God. We are kept by His power. First uh, Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God. You don't keep yourself. God keeps you. And sometimes you say, well, I, you know, if persecution came and I was forced to deny the Lord, maybe, maybe I would fold. Maybe I would fail. Maybe... Well, all I know is that if you look at the history of Christian martyrs, when people who have, true believers who found themselves in that position have found that there's this keeping power of God that comes into play that they didn't know was there until they needed it. God keeps you, folks. It's not you keeping yourself. God keeps you. God gives you the desire to be kept, and God gives you the power to be kept, and God keeps his hand on you, and you can't be lost. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's going to completely save you. He's not going to leave a part of you unsaved. And, and I like what it says in, first, uh, in Philippians 1.6 He who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't start something he doesn't finish. You understand that? We start things and don't finish them. If God started salvation in you, he's going to finish it. He's not going to get partway along the way and say you're more bothered than you're worth and forget it. It doesn't work that way. Nowhere in scripture is there any hint that you can lose your salvation. And here's the other thing. It's sealed with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sealed? Ephesians 1, 13-14, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. What does it mean to be sealed? Well, the Greek text is Erebon. It means engagement ring. What's the Holy Spirit? We've been given the Holy Spirit, right? If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's God. But in this case, in this context, he is the engagement ring. What is an engagement ring? What's the significance of it? Yeah, it's a promise, all right? If you, now, now we, of course, in our society, you can give the engagement ring back, you can break off the, you know, engagement, but in those days, you didn't do that. It didn't operate that way. In those days, you met your wife for the first time when you actually went to marry her. There wasn't any of this bushy, you know, dating and, you know, finding the love of your life stuff. You know, your parents arranged it, and you just showed up, and there she was, and you took whatever she, you got. And on the other side, she took whatever showed up. Um, but the, the idea here is that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as, a, as something he's not going to take back. And he's saying, just so you know that I'm going to take you all the way to the end, just so you know that you're going to go all the way through to glorification, I'm going to give you a down payment. And that down payment is the Holy Spirit which is in us. 
Now, for God to unsave us, what does he have to do? Withdraw the the Holy Spirit from us. And he's not going to do that. He started a good work. He's going to finish it. He doesn't quit along the way. And it's the earnest, the Erebon of our inheritance until what? The redemption of the purpose, purchased possession. What's that? That's glorification. What about people who would, I, I'm with you, but what about people who would say, okay, you, you can't jump out, but, or okay, you can't um, lose the Holy Spirit, but what about being out of fellowship? Well, that's the assurance piece. That's when we get, and we're going to get to that. That's the assurance piece, because even though you don't, you can't lose the Holy Spirit. If you fall into sin, what happens to your assurance? That's the first thing that goes, doesn't it? That's the first thing that goes, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But that's an important, and we got it. We got to split something out here. security is not talking about emotion right now. We're not talking about your feelings. We're not talking about your emotion. We're not talking about your warm fuzzy in the pit of the stomach. We're talking about cognitive fact issues. Can you lose what God has given you? The answer is, according to the scriptures, no, you can't. Now, how do you feel that? How do you experience that? How do you experience the joy of your salvation? That's the assurance part. But you can't lose it because we have been given as a down payment the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit within me. And what is that Holy Spirit telling me? It's telling me, the the fact I have the Holy Spirit tells me that someday I get it all. I don't have it yet, but someday I'm going to receive all that God has promised me. And the metaphor is beautiful in the the New Testament. What is the metaphor of Christ? He's going to come back for his bride. A wonderful metaphor. Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed the day of redemption. This is the sin part. What can I do if I sin? I grieve the Spirit. Do I lose it? No, but I grieve the Holy Spirit. I grieve the Spirit. But I don't lose it. I don't give it up. And the beauty of this all is since God is omniscient, when you came to know Him as Lord and Savior, what did He know about your life? Everything you're going to do. Every sin, every failure, every doubt, every problem that you would ever face, every, everything, he knew it all. And did he accept you anyways? Absolutely. So how can you commit a sin that catches God by surprise? You can't. You can't. Doesn't excuse it. We're not excusing your sin. The point is you can't sin a sin that God doesn't know about. And has not already forgiven. You can't lose this. You can't undo the work of God. Any questions on security? That's the security piece. You still have to ask for the forgiveness, though. Oh, absolutely, because it's a relationship, right? I mean, if I, if I, if I do something to offend Donna, she's not going to unbecome my wife, I hope not, but she's not going to do that. But what is, happens to the fellowship? What happens to the... Yeah, it's broken, and I need to ask forgiveness. That's, that's, that's the difference between positional and parental forgiveness. We talked about 
that earlier. But of course I ask for forgiveness. But I don't lose the Holy Spirit. Okay? But I grieve the Holy Spirit. So how do you undo the grief? You have to ask forgiveness. And that's a different question. All right, well, let's look at the assurance of salvation. Now, this is answering the question, how do I feel it? How do I know? And all of us in here, you know, I asked this a couple weeks back, all of us in here have struggled with this, haven't we, at some point? I know I have. And you know what? To be honest, I still do once in a while. Be honest, don't lie. Don't lie. We all struggle with this. Why is it that people lack assurance? Why, well, I stole some sermon notes from somebody, my hero. But why do people lack assurance? Why is it that some people just don't feel? And this is what we're talking about here, emotion, feel. Why is it that some people don't, why is it that they don't feel saved? They don't feel like they're really born again. Um, these are just some reasons. People may sit under strong preaching against sin and feel unforgiven. You may, may um, be under strong preaching, you know, sin, 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 sin. And so you keep thinking, boy, you know, I just sin all day long. Good night. I can't get away from this. You know, no matter what I do, I'm sinning. And it's constantly being in my face. And, and after a while, that can sort of beat you down, right? It can beat you down. There are churches that are very legalistic. Most of you women in here are sinning for not wearing skirts. You're wearing pants. You're not supposed to do that. Horrible. And some of you have makeup on. That's even worse. You're in nail polish. And you cut your hair. You're not supposed to cut your hair. How about nail polish? Yeah, nail polish. I'm not making it up. There, there are places where, you know, this is, the, this is part. And you're using a Bible other than the King James. That's the devil's. You're using a devil's version. I mean... No, we could go on. Now look, why is it we're all laughing? Because we all know this happens, right? That's the way it is. We, I mean, they're, they're, look, you can be put on a guilt trip very easily. And why is it that we're easily put on a guilt trip? Because we know we're sinners. Because we are. <laughs> we, we, we sin, right? We do sin. We do sin. And there's people that say, well, I committed a sin. I must not be Christian because Christians don't sin. Well, of course we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The matter of emphasis and within the church, everything is focused on, at least a lot of times, it's focusing on how we feel. 
Right. Not what do you know and what do you think about what the Word of God says. And I, I found for myself that it was the learning of God's Word that brought that sense of assurance. The feelings are not dependable. Right. Feelings can depend on what you ate for dinner last night. You know, um, very, th that's a very important point that was made just there. We live in a society now where the issue is not what do you think, it's how do you feel. All right. Um, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? How do you get people elected? Well, you, you make people feel good about them and bad about the other guy. That's how you, it has nothing to do with their policies or their reasoning abilities. or It has to do with how do you feel? I like him, I don't like him, or whatever. Um, you can't go that way in, in the scripture. In, in the Bible, your feelings are always subject to your thinking. All right? And you need to put your thinking before your feelings. You, you might not feel like forgiving someone. What does the Bible tell you to do? Forgive them. Yeah. Whether you feel like it or not is irrelevant. You forgive them. Yeah. And what will happen to the feelings later on? They might come along, but you do what you're to do. What has helped me, let, what has helped me in this one right here, what has really helped me here in my life is to really slowly and through my and I call it my thick skull, understand that with God, it's a relationship that's the issue. It's, it's not a list of things that I do. I have a relationship with God. And if I focus on that, I focus on that relationship, I find that all of the things I'm supposed to do come along for the ride. Follow that? I grew up in a church where there was a list. And, and your relationship to God was determined by how well you kept the list. Did you go to a movie? Oh, that's bad, really bad to go to the movie. Now wait for it to come out on TV, it's okay to see it, but don't go to the movie theater and watch it. And, and there was lists of things. And, and when, I, I, when I said, well, wait a minute, let's, you know, just the movie thing, the issue is not where, it's what I'm watching. If I'm watching filth on my TV at home and I'm thinking I'm holy because I'm not going to go to the movie theater and watch Bambi, I'm deceiving myself. There's something wrong with this picture. And so what I've been able to, what I've, what I've slowly understood is it's a relationship. You know, it's the same thing with my wife. If I love Donna, I'm going to focus on that relationship with her and I don't need lists of things I do and don't do and because I love her. I, it, it's going to follow. And when you, when you focus on your love for the Lord, all of these things take care of themselves. But some people, they live in this, I want to call it a, I don't know, a, a prison of performance-based assurance, where my assurance is based on how well I've kept the list today. And if I don't keep the list as well as I think I should be keeping the list, or as well as somebody else is telling me I should be keeping the list, then I must not be as godly as they are. It's a trap. You don't need to go there. All right? You need to get yourself out of that thinking. It's because of that that I was so amazed when I came, first came here in 1973 and Al Auburn got up, you know, 
that morning in front of the congregation and said, you know, good morning. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord came back today? And I thought, no, no. And everybody around me was smiling and saying, yeah, yeah. And I'm, it's because of legalistic background. I don't want him to come yet because I might have done something and I, I haven't gotten forgiven for it and I won't go to heaven and no, no, no. It was that whole legalistic thing yeah. which I was raised. I was told, you know, you don't want to go to a movie because you're like the Lord will come back in the middle of the movie and you'll probably get left behind. I mean, what kind of, what kind of, that's a prison, folks. You don't need to go there, all right? You don't need to go there. The only time, I, I have to tell you this is funny. This is fun. This, you know, you ever, you ever have those situations happen to you in life? This is funny, but the only time I really felt that, and I, I really did think, you know, this is not the time for the Lord to come back. The only time I felt that is I was down at a conference in Miami Beach, Florida, and we had been in the conference all day long. I don't know if I ever told you this story. It's sort of funny. I was in a conference all day long. We had not eaten dinner. I was hungry. And there was another person from the college with me, and we met this other guy from uh, 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 school in Pittsburgh. And uh, we said, well, let's go out to dinner. You know, we'll go out to dinner somewhere. So we're trying to find a place to eat dinner, you know, about 8, 9 o'clock at night, 7.30, somewhere like that. And we went to the Fountain Blue Hotel, which is a big hotel down there. And they had a couple of restaurants. One of them had naked mannequins in the, as the decor. And we said, well, that's not where I want to go. You know, let's go to this other restaurant. And, you know, it looked pretty good. The meals looked pretty good. So we go in there, you know. And I knew I was in trouble. And they said, well, sir, you need a black coat. You know, you need to wear a coat in there. So they had a whole room full of these coats. You know, you can put a suit jacket on, you know, so you don't look like a ruffian. So we went in there and we sat down and ordered up dinner. And just then, the lights go down and out come the dancing girls. And it's like, whoa, what happened here? Well, that was show night. All right, and we were looking at the menu. If we had to turn around, we'd seen the show night. So here we have a Las Vegas go-go showgirl, whatever. And it's it, seriously, it's the only meal I ever ate. I never looked up from the table, and I couldn't look up because I had my back to the stage. But they had mirrors all the way around the place, so you couldn't even look up. And I said, you know, my luck. The Lord is going to come back, and I'm going to be here eating dinner. And. Sometimes it happens, and then we walk out and say, oh, they're okay, we, we didn't see the, but we were just hungry, we wanted, it looked like a good meal, and oh well. It was, and you know, it's really bad when I'm, when I'm sitting there, and I hear people, around, wow, they're not wearing much at all, are they? You know, it's like, well, I'm not going to look, you know, that's, oh. But you know, the point is, there, there are people that are under this, this massive weight of, unrealistic expectations. Now, before you come to the Lord, you need to be under the weight of sin, right? But what has God done? God has forgiven you your sin. What does it mean that He has forgiven it? He knows your core. He doesn't remember it. You understand that? If He's forgiven it, He doesn't remember it. You don't need to go under this, this really prison. And then some people have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness for the sin. Why? Because we live in a performance-based culture, right? What do, what, do I, what do I have to do? Their conscience accuses them. In what sense? Well, when they sin, what does your conscience tell you? You've sinned. God's not forgiven you. Has he? This is where your, the scripture has to come in. What do you go? You've got to go back to the scripture. He has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He's buried them in the depths of the sea. What does that mean? What it says. 
You may not feel it, but what does it say? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what you're doing, basically, you're saying, well, I have a higher standard than God does. That's what you're really saying. God's holiness and the law speak against forgiveness. In what sense? God is absolutely 100% holy, and how can he forgive me for my sin? He is just so pure, it's unbelievable. How can he forgive me and accept me? Well, you go back to the scripture. How is it that God can accept me? Because somebody took my place. And when, Christ, and when God sees me right now, who does he see me as, righteous as? His son. Now, we understand that there's parental forgiveness. There, you know, when we go through life, we need to ask God's forgiveness for our sin, but he has forgiven it. He has forgiven it. We just have a hard time accepting that we're supposed to be Christ-like. Yeah, and we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. That's one of the hard things. You know, people, they have a hard time forgiving themselves of their failures. Look. Folks, you've you got to go back to the Scripture. You've got to go back to what the Scripture says. What has God done? God has forgiven me for every one of my failures. I need to forgive myself. I can't live my entire life thinking there's something that I've, I've missed. And that's one of the dangers of some um, denominations who have this idea, well, you have to always confess all of your sins, and if you die and you don't confess a sin, you're going to hell. Well, good night. That's going to catch all of us, isn't it? How many of you sinned and didn't know it? All of us have. And that's why you focus on the relationship. When you focus on the relationship, the other stuff will take care of itself. Marshall, you're going to say something? Say one of the struggles that I have had here over the years, and I raised this question with our community Bible six years ago, is the definition of joy. Because you read about the joy that should be in us, the joy. And you see the difficult struggles that Peter or others went through, but they had joy. And I kept trying, I got question and never get a satisfactory answer. Define joy. Because though I'm saved, either I'm not feeling the joy that I should feel, or maybe I'm misunderstanding the definition of joy. And I'll be learning how to be in and laughing all day long, but um, um, I kind of fall into those categories and periodically I feel that I I don't have the joy Sometimes that I think that God wants me to have, mm -hmm. and I feel sometimes that if you let your guard down, sometimes you just relax, you stay, you step in the gap, mm -hmm. you something, and something comes up, and I'm always on my guard, and I don't have that joy sometimes. And so, I, uh, how, do, how do you define? How does define joy? Not happiness. Yeah. I know, I know that difference. Well, you know, as I've thought about this, I understand that I live in a fallen world. I'm around a lot of fallen people, right? And I have a lot of, and life doesn't work out all the time for my own happiness or whatever it is. But it's not supposed to. All right? So I don't expect that. One of the things I think, and one of the dangers, is sometimes people get this idea, well, if I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to just live on cloud nine the rest of my life. You know, I'm supposed to be tiptoeing through the tulips every day. You know, I'm supposed to have angels serenading me with music from heaven all day long. Look, it doesn't work that way. I have those things happen once in a while. But by and large, I live in a sinful world with sinful people, and I don't feel on top of the world all day long. But where my joy comes from is to realize that in spite of everything that's going on, 
God's there. And I don't necessarily feel that all the time. I don't feel exuberant and, you know, some people just irritate me. They're going around with a smile on their face all the time just singing praises. You know, and that's okay. I mean, you understand what I'm trying to say. That's all right. But, you know, that's not a normative part of our Christian life. What did Christ say? In the world you will have tribulation. Go look at Paul. Go look at 1 Corinthians The joy is when you, the joy is when you, you look and you see the end product. That's where the joy comes from. Who for, it talks about Christ who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did Christ have joy on the cross? Was he singing praises to God while he was nailed there? No. But there was a joy that was ahead that he could focus on and that's the cognitive piece. That's not the emotional piece. That's I have joy. I like what Paul says here in, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, I don't remember all of the Greek words behind this. I'm sorry. But there's some fan if you want to do a word study, do a word study on this. 4-7. Paul says, uh, we have this treasure in clay pots. You're a clay pot. You realize that. To show the surpass that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are troubled. We are persecuted in life. We have a treasure. What is the treasure? The treasure is Christ in us. And it's in an earthen vessel. It's in us. And why is it that we suffer persecution? So that people can see the treasure in us. And Paul says this, We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. This is a guy saying, you know, I'm pressed on. Every side, I am being, and I think the words here are thlipsis, I'm, I'm being squeezed like a grape is being squeezed. But I'm not crushed. I'm squeezed, but not crushed. I'm perplexed, but not driven to despair. The word picture there is, I'm down on the mat, but I'm not knocked out. He says, I'm persecuted, but not forsaken. The word, I think, behind persecuted there, it's like an animal chasing another animal in pursuit. He said, I'm being, pers I'm being pursued, but I've not been caught. I've not been caught. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. I'm on the mat, but I'm not out. And I'm always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in me. Why is it that I am suffering? Why is it that I'm on the mat? Why am I being persecuted? Why is my life so miserable so that people can see Christ in me? If you were a Christian and you just tiptoed through the tulips all day long, would people really see Christ in you? Probably not. Right. That's a pretty good one, actually. That's a pretty good definition. Dave.
Right. I guess you want to have that. I guess I look at it yeah. living in the world and looking at this from God's lens is very narrow. Like you're always battling the world. Mm -hmm. And you don't really have time to sit and relax and be joyful. Yeah. But God wants us to have joy. He wants us to have the confidence that He is in charge of all things. And joy is not the absence of problems. Joy is the confidence. I, I love that that definition. Joy is the confidence that no matter what happens, God is going to take care of me. And I don't have to worry about what lies ahead, even though, how, even though it looks very bleak. I don't have to worry about that. And I can have that confidence. And where do I get that confidence? I get it through an understanding of the Word of God. And sometimes that is a very emotional thing. It might manifest it in a very emotional way. Other times it may not be very emotional at all. But I don't, I, here's the point. You can't expect, and this is one of the difficulties in I think Christianity today, is we have this brand of Christianity where everybody's supposed to be on cloud nine all day long, no problems, no issues, no disease, no sickness, plenty of money, good job, happy family, and you know what? It doesn't work that way. And when they don't get it, they think that somehow God's abandoned them. Well, they have a false view of what it's all about. Absolutely. I know that, and I sense that. I try to catch myself with that. You know, but at the same time, you have, it's like you're in charge of a nest mm -hmm. of your family that, that God has placed in, in, in your care. They belong to Him, but He's placed in your care. And you are just trying to just be diligent <coughs> to make sure you can do all you can. Well, who loves your family more, you or God? Yeah. Uh, well, I was just going to say um, something that's helped me, you know, because it is easy to get like a cloud nine, but then you got to come down and, you know, like heaven and stuff. I mean, and like I find like when I have to deal with the hard things in life, I just go like to the scriptures and like I have Bible stuff where I'll go like look up joy, you know, and you're like, where's all the scriptures on joy? And it's like, it's not that I'm trying to take them out of context, but sometimes I just need to like myself some scriptures on joy, you know? Scriptures on, like, God's love, because it is hard, you know? And, like, people know, like, I'm a very energetic, heavy person, but I'm not on cloud nine, you know? Yeah. Like, sometimes, um, you know, I share my struggles with people because it's like I want them to know, it's like, I have homes, too, you know? One of the yeah. things that we teach our children from the very beginning is to expect adversity in your life. Yeah. Is to expect it and embrace it as a blessing. Yeah. Because if you look at it as a blessing, that God has either sent it and brought it upon yourself, at the very least, he's at least allowed it, there's a lesson that can be learned if you look for the lesson. Yeah. So we look at adversity mm -hmm. and trials as blessings, not as... Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, let's do this. Let's finish this chapter here, because this fills it out. Look at verse 13. Or verse 11. For we who, all, who, who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I speak, 
We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus from the will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that so this grace extends to more and more people and may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Why is he not losing heart? He's thinking about this. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Well, you got to give yourself a break. You got you got to look at this from the eternal perspective. Say, you know, I'm going through all. Wait a minute. This is light, momentary affliction. When you, when compared to eternity, what are you going through? Nothing. And it's going to produce in you something of far more value later on than now. As we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's a perspective thing, folks. Get your right perspective. Enjoy. Expect persecution. There's going to be those oases in your life of great joy and happiness. And there's going to be other times when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. But what, is, what, did, what did the psalmist say? Even there you are with me. Yeah. You know, when you think one of his favorite ways that he robs that joy is it's one of his oldest tricks, way back in Genesis, when he says, Have God said. Yeah. You know, and that's when he instills that doubt and your foundation starts to shake and, and he comes in there and sings. Yeah. And that's where you fiery darts of the wicked yeah. come after and you. Yeah. It steals it, it saps it. Yeah. Yeah. That's something interesting there because that's one of the struggles I've had through my life. Is God has blessed me in ways that I can't even imagine. And sometimes I feel guilty about that. And I say, well, and, and I got to come back to the scripture and I wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I know that life has trial, I know that life has persecution, but when God gives me a blessing, what should we do? Be thankful for it, right? It's just like if I, if I give my wife something very valuable, I want her to just say, well, you know, it's going to be worse tomorrow. No, I want her to enjoy it, right? I want her to... And, and it's not wrong to enjoy the blessing. And Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I've abounded. I've been up without. I've had plenty. I've had little. But it, it goes back to the relationship. As you as you grow in your Christian life, as you mature, it's a relationship. Yeah, Ruth. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry.
Hopefully not husband. Huh? Hopefully not husband. Well, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's faithful. All right. <laughs> but through all of this, I have, among other things, one of my sisters-in-law accused me of not being happy. We're supposed to be happy. And I said, well, we also are told that we're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Suffering. Right. I can't muster a joyful feeling to save my neck. It mm-hmm. just isn't there. 
But can I praise God for his faithfulness? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Have I ever felt like he has not been involved in this? When I look at it and, and assess, all I see is the hand of God. Right. Yeah, I think all of us get there. And you get, you learn that, the fellowship of his sufferings, you learn joy through that suffering. Right. Right. Usually you find what you really need, but you don't know that you need it. You don't know that's what you've been looking for. And where are we going to ex get ultimate joy? We're going to get it when we're around the throne. Not here. I mean, we may be able to tap into it a little bit here. But our true joy, our true fulfillment is all future. And it's a com I love the, the, you know, the, the Ruth's definition here. It's confidence that God is going to work it out. I don't have to worry that it's gonna, the outcome is going to be bad. But I, you, here's where you learn that most. You don't learn it when you're tiptoeing through the tulips. You learn it when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Or the valley of humiliation, if you read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. That's where you figure this stuff out. You don't figure it when the road is easy. You figure it out when the road is hard. Yeah. Because it doesn't, he doesn't become your God until you get down there and you recognize him. Yeah. There Vance Havner said something in one of his sermons. He said, you don't know the Lord is all you need until he's all you have. Um, you're not going to figure that out when the sun is shining and everything's going your way. Um, but, but sometimes people think, well, if, if the sun's not shining, if everything's not going my way, I must not be a Christian. That's a false view of what Christian is. And that's the kind of stuff you hear on television you need to stay away from. That's not what Christianity is all about. Christ said in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Oh, now I may not overcome it in this life, but ultimately what's going to happen? I'm going to overcome it. 
It's a future thing. Here's another reason. People may not understand the gospel of grace. We, we live in a very work-centered, very legalistic kind of culture. And there are some churches that say, well, yeah, God will save you by grace, but you know what? If you don't keep our list, you're, you're not going to be in. God's not going to be happy with you if you're not keeping the list of things that our church has decided are the things that make God happy. The problem is every church has a different list, don't they? And how do you know who has the right list? You don't. Alright? So, some people don't understand the gospel of grace. They don't understand just what grace is. And I love the way David Walls used to put it. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. Grace is grace. That's the whole point of grace. And, it's, and by definition, this is the other thing, by definition, grace is not something you earn or deserve. Or it's not grace. That's the point. If you want grace, you can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't deserve it. That's what it is. And so some of it goes back to understanding what the scripture says about grace. What is it? It's not performance-based. Some people don't remember the exact time of their salvation. How many people can give me the date and time of their salvation in here? I can't give you my date. I know it happened. I, I remember the, the circumstances, but I don't know what day it was. I don't know what time. Well, it was daylight out. It was light out. I know that. But other than that, I don't know what time it was. And some people say, well, I don't remember when I became a Christian. I don't, I don't remember the exact date or time. I don't remember the aisle I walked or whatever. I don't remember that. I, I must not be a Christian because I don't remember the exact time. That doesn't mean anything. But you remember when you were saved. I remember that. Time. But some people don't. Some people don't know that. And they feel, well, if I don't, if I don't know that, I might not be a Christian. I might not be in. And then... Some people struggle against the flesh and hence feel like failures. This is the big one here that a lot of us face, right? We're Christians. We're supposed to be holy people. And why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep losing my temper? Why do I keep being tempted in that area? Why, why, why in the world can I just not be tempted? And here's the way to answer that. If you were not a Christian, would it bother you that you are tempted? No. It wouldn't. In fact, some people have argued with me saying, well, I must not be a Christian because I struggle with sin. My response is the fact that you struggle with sin tells you more that you're a Christian than not. Because the pagans don't struggle with sin. They struggle with the consequences, don't they? But they don't struggle with it. They don't struggle with sin. They struggle with the consequences of sin. But a lot of times we, and, and it's easy for, for very young Christians to have this battle. You know, they come to know the Lord and, you know, they're told to be, you know, you need to be holy. And they have struggles with their sin. They have struggles and they say, well, I must not be a Christian. I must not be saved because I'm struggling with this, this sin that just bogs me down. And what did Paul say? Paul felt the same way. Paul looked forward to the day when he'd get rid of of his struggle with sin. That's what really drew him to heaven. It's not that heaven is a place with the streets of gold, that's great, you know, and all this goodies that come with it. But when I get to heaven, the thing that really attracts me there is I'm not going to have to worry about sin. I'm not going to be able to foul it up. I'm not going to be able to commit an act of sin. 
But right now, we're going to struggle against sin. Why? We live in a fallen world, and we struggle with our flesh, Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And then people may be facing severe trials and feel as though God does not love them and doesn't care. That's the Job syndrome, right? You may be going through a deep valley. You may be struggling with some great crisis in your life. You say, well, God's not there. He's abandoned me. He's right there with you going through it. All right. Well, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that situation? Well, what the psalmist did is he looked back, right? He said, now, wait a minute. I remember when I went through this trial over here with King of Ziklag, and guess who was there with me? God was. And I remember when I had this trial, and God brought me out of that one. And I remember when I had my enemies over here, and God brought me out of that one. And you remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. And so is he going to let you down now? How many, of his, how many of his children has God ever let down? You're not the first. You realize that? You're not going to be the first one of his children that he's going to let down. Look back at God's faithfulness. And then here's one. People may be living in sin. We're going to talk about this. If you are living in a pattern of rebellion in your life, what's going to happen to your feelings? They're going away. You're not going to feel safe. And that, that's one of the things that, that whenever you, you really have struggle with assurance sometimes, maybe one of the first places to look is say, am I living in a known pattern of sin? Am I, am I knowingly committing sin? Am I knowingly living in rebellion? Because that's usually the first thing that goes. When you... When you start living in sin, the first thing that goes is your feeling of connectedness to God. Why? Because the relationship is what? It's strained. And the, and the, the warm fellowship is broken. And you don't feel the closeness. And it may be that you're living in sin. Well, next, next week... Oh, here's, let's do a couple more and then we're done. People fail to walk in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Holy Spirit? Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, what do you do? You do what the Bible says, right? You walk in the Spirit. It means a pattern of life. You fail, if you don't walk in the Spirit, if you're, if you're making decisions on your own, if you're ignoring God in your life, if you're ignoring the Word of God in your life, if you're not spending time in God's Word in prayer, what's going to happen to your relationship? Is it going to be close or distant? It's going to be distant. You're not going to feel it. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He, he illuminates the word. He reveals the truth. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He brings fruit into our lives. What is fruit? Fruit is holy actions. It's the fruit of the spirit. He empowers us for service. How is it that you're able to do and exercise your spiritual gift? It's the Holy Spirit that empowers you. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're not feeling saved. So next week, we're going to look at 11 tests to ask yourself, are you a Christian? And to help you answer this question. Now, here's, a, here's, here's the thing to understand. You're not going to walk out of here with this emotional attachment the rest of your life that you feel saved. That's not going to happen. But what it is going to do, or what we are going to do, is we're going to look at these tests and we're going to say, when we have those doubts, when we feel unsaved, 
Okay, let's look at what the Word of God says. Let's look at what the Scripture says. And what we're going to find is that if we do that, our emotions will follow along. All right? So that's what we'll do next week. Probably in preparation for this, uh, maybe I'll make this suggestion. For, in preparing for this uh, next week, read the book of 1 John every day till next Sunday. 1 John? 1 John. Okay. Five chapters, you can do that, no problem at all. Just read it once a day, every day, for the next seven days. And um, we'll talk about it next week. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day and for giving us a beautiful day out and for teaching us now in this time together. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the hope that we have of eternal life and bears witness with our spirit. Thank you again for this opportunity of study in Christ's name. Amen.